In Romans 8 and verse 19, we read that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That's an extraordinary image when you think about the, the creation itself. is pictured as a, as a woman in, in childbirth, groaning in pain and anticipation of something that's to come. That's the world in which we live. Well, as we look at the, the seventh day of creation in Genesis 2 this morning, the Sabbath, in a sense, what this is all about is completion. Now, for many Christians today, uh, they haven't really given much thought to the Sabbath. We, we have in our confessions uh, the, the statement, we believe in the Lord's Day, it's a day of worship. Many other tri- uh, Christian traditions don't, uh, don't think really about the Sabbath. It's, it's thought of as, as an Old Testament thing that's just gone by the by. And, uh, maybe they don't think about much uh, of it and they think, oh, it's part of the Mosaic Law, um, Some Christians would say it points towards a spiritual reality, but it's passed away, and there's certainly some truth in that. But many just haven't really thought about it uh, much at all. So what is the Sabbath all about? What is this seventh day of creation? What's going on here in this passage? That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. As you read the creation account in Genesis 1, the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest, You see, there's something very different and very unique about the seventh day. You know, the the first six days have this, there was morning and there was this evening, this refrain, there's kind of repetition uh, in the six days. God declares that it's good. But on the seventh day, God marks this day out as unique because he says that it is holy. Now, when God says something like that, that's something we should pay attention to and listen to and that's what i hope we can open up and explain a little bit this morning so what is this sabbath what's going on in this passage i want to point out a few things this morning and in our first point this is our first sermon point i want to say the sabbath is about the completion of creation it's about the completion of creation that's our first point let's just read verse one and uh, the first part of verse two Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. So it's it's pretty plain, isn't it? God finished the creation work. The seventh day is about completion. But why complete the work of creation with the Sabbath? Why not just have six days and then get straight into the the, the first day? Why not have a six-day week? What's the importance and significance of having this seventh day of rest. Well, again, I think it's it's pointing towards the completion of creation. We see in, in, in days one through six, there's actually a kind of, we don't have the time to study it in depth at the moment, but we have, uh, there's a certain logic to creation. On day one, as God fills the earth, uh, fills the creation with light, uh, he gives us, Really, that's kind of a purpose statement of what the creation is all about. And as the, uh, I think the Westminster Catechism says, uh, uh, things are, all things are created for the glory of God. And so you see, the scripture says that God is light. 1 John 
1 verse 5. And it says in, I think it's uh, 1 or 2 Timothy, that God dwells in light. And so when God says, let there be light, what he's actually saying is, let my presence, let my glory fill everything. It's a big picture purpose statement of what God wants to achieve. And then you see the creation days unfold. And on day six, he crowns the creation with an image of himself. He puts a mirror, us, and he says, this is how my, my glory and presence is going to fill the earth. I'm going to uh, create man and woman and say, go and fill the earth, make, multiply my image. And you can see in the garden, God dwelled with Adam and Eve, didn't he? And Adam and Eve were designed to be reflections of who God is and his goodness. And so God, there's a logic there in the six days of creation that God wants to fill the earth with his presence and glory. And he does that primarily by making us in his image. And so day seven is this completion of creation. Now you come to day seven and you might just think this is some anti-climax or tagline. Oh, God rested at the end. It's all done. All the important stuff is done. But I want to say, day seven truly completes God's creation. God has something bigger in mind here. Let me show you a, a little bit of what I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about day seven, uh, back on the actual day seven, is actually looking forward to and anticipating a great day seven, if I can put it that way. A final Sabbath, a final glorious completion to everything that was started on uh, the first six days. For Israel in Moses' day, this was certainly true. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And as they stood on the verge of entering the promised land, the Sabbath for them represented what they would have when they came into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 5 and verses 12 through 15, uh, Israel is instructed to remember the Sabbath day each week, to remember the creation day. In Hebrews 4, actually, in the New Testament, makes this uh, even more clear that this Sabbath anticipation it started at the start uh, and Israel had this anticipation. Hebrews 4 says, well, this is actually looking forward to something even bigger. This is looking forward to something that's still coming, this grand day of completion. So for Israel, the original Sabbath pointed towards rest in the promised land. For us, it points towards rest in the new heavens, in the new earth. This is the new covenant fulfillment of the creation Sabbath. So the seventh day is about the completion of creation. And it anticipates creation, creation's completion. This is why in the book of Revelation, that, that, the book at the end of the, of the Bible... Um, that looks forward to the end of time. You, you might notice the Apostle John, if you look for the number seven in the book of Revelation, you just see it. It just comes up again and again and again. And the way that he uses the number seven, and we sort of say, well, what's, this, what's this all about? And I think what this is about is John's using God's blueprint of the seventh day of fulfillment. And he's saying, here we are at the, this book, the capstone of the whole Bible. And he's saying, this is looking forward to this, this final completion. You know, Christians sometimes say, you know, the number seven represents perfection. It's hard to miss the number seven when you read the Bible, but I think perhaps more accurately we could say it represents completion, which of course perfection is wrapped up in that as well. So that's kind of the big picture perspective of day seven that I want to give to you. 
And I want to pause and apply this just for a moment, if I can. And I want to say to each one of us here that we need to seek to enter that rest. Because that day is coming, that day when creation will be completed. And so there's a very personal question for each of us is, well, will I be participating in that rest? Will that be part of the story of my life as well? Psalm 95 and verse 11 in the Old Testament shows that there would be those who don't enter the Sabbath rest. And the question again for us is, well, will I be there? Will that be my rest? And do you know the Lord Jesus in Matthew 11, Matthew's Gospel 11 and verse 23, listen to these words that he says, because Jesus is the fulfillment of this rest, you see. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's significant. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so the the scriptures say uh, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. And that includes this Sabbath promise as well, the promise of rest. And so as we seek to enter God's eternal rest, the way you, you do that is to simply come to Christ and believe. Take my yoke upon you, he says. Come and trusting the gospel accounts, which tell us who he is, reveal to us, what he's like, hold out to us the promise of forgiveness. And as we come believing in Jesus, we're accepted into that eternal rest, not because we've been perfect Christians, not because we've performed to a satisfactory level of perfection, but because we rest in Christ. We confess our sins. We lay them down at the foot of the cross. And we trust in him. We rest in him. And I want to say to you this morning, if you want to, Participate If you want to be in God's rest, that is the only possible way that you can receive it. And so if you haven't come to Christ this morning, let me urge you and encourage you. All that is needed is to come confessing your need to him, come confessing your sin to him, and come trusting. As he, we read those words of assurance before, though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. All that is needed is faith to receive that promise that is offered to us through Christ. So I want to uh, encourage and call each of us this morning to seek to enter God's eternal rest. So that's the the big picture of the seventh day. But Let's dig uh, a little deeper now. Here's our second point this morning. Because what else is happening here is that God is resting, isn't it? We see that. And so our second point, we're considering the rest of God. The rest of God. That's our second point. Let's just pick up there in verse 2 where it says, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So if completion gives the bigger picture, then this idea of rest puts meat on the bones, if you like. And so the question then to ask is, well, what is this rest? What What does this mean? What is it talking about? It sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? When I think of rest, I think about reclining in my lazy boy in the lounge room. But is this what's going on here? Well, rest assured, if you'll pardon the pun, the Sabbath rest is not about relaxation. 
But let me say uh, four things about what it does mean. Here's the first one. Rest is a pattern for us. Rest is a pattern for us. In Exodus 20 and verse 8, we read, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so we talked before about how God made us. It's like we're little mirrors of God. We're designed actually to reflect who he is. And so we see this on the seventh day as God rests. He expects that to be part of the reflection in us as well. Why do you rest on the seventh day? Because the Lord your God rested on the seventh day. And so this is something uh, we need to keep in mind. Rest is a pattern for us. In Mark 2 and verse 27, the Lord Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. It was designed for man. And in a sense, God took that day of rest for our benefit. He did that for us, to give us a pattern of rest. Here's the second thing I want to say about rest. Resting is dwelling. Resting is dwelling. This word in the Hebrew, Shabbat, one of its meanings is literally just to dwell, just to stay put. And so when you're resting, by definition, you're not roaming. You're staying put. And so in 1, 1 Chronicles 28, for example, we find King David announcing to Jerusalem his intention to build the temple. And he says it will be the dwelling place of God. And so we read in, in, in 1 Chronicles 28, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest. That's one of the titles of the temple. A house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. And so David, notice there, he calls the temple the house of rest. And that, he says that because it would be the place where God would dwell. In 2 Chronicles 6 and verse 41, when David's son, King Solomon, actually built the temple, he confirmed it as he called the temple God's resting place because the presence of God would rest on that house, that temple, in a special way. And so as we look back to day 7 in creation, we see again uh, as God creates the day of rest, God is saying, in fact, my intention is to rest in this place, this creation, to fill it with my presence. And so we read in the New Testament when we finally come to the Lord, we meet him in the sky, and so we shall be forever with the Lord, together with him, in the same place, in his presence. So resting is dwelling. And that's what we do each, each Sunday as we worship. On the day of worship, we dwell in the presence of God as we are his temple. This is the, the house of rest, if you like. You are the house of rest as God's people. So resting is dwelling. Here's the third thing I want to say about resting. Resting is reigning. Resting is reigning. God rests or dwells in the temple, but God's rest is also referring to his reign, his kingly reign. And so uh, we read this messianic prophecy in Isaiah 11 and verse 9 looking forward to the, the great day of fulfillment. It says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all 
my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And verse 10 then continues. It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so did you notice what Isaiah was doing there? He's describing this messianic reign that Christ would fulfill. You know, we think of uh, the holy mountain and, you know, the, lo- the wolf shall lie down with the lamb and those sorts of things. But he also describes Christ's reign as Christ coming to his resting place. And so we know the temple was God's resting or dwelling place. But we see in, actually in Isaiah 6, for example, that it's actually God's throne room as well. In Isaiah 6 and verse 1, the prophet says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That was the setting. He was in the temple seeing this vision, and what did he see? He saw the Lord enthroned. And so this resting is a picture of God's reign as well. And so when God calls his people to stop working for one day and seven in the fourth commandment, that's actually an extremely logical thing to do. Because this is not just a day off from work. It's a day when God calls us to cease from the activity of dominion. Six days you shall work. Exercise dominion. Now, dominion is man, uh, men and women together ruling over and subduing the creation to the glory of God. Working and keeping the garden, multiplying the image of God. This is the work of dominion. And on the day of rest, we're called to stop this ruling dominion work for a day and to recognize God's rule. Every seven days we get this reminder, hey, God is on the throne. It's not us, it's him. He rules and reigns. And that's, incidentally, in the Old Testament, you might sometimes read, if, you know, I think uh, one of the references in the Mosaic law, if someone picks up a stick on the Sabbath, there's a death penalty, and you're thinking, whoa, that is harsh. But do you see what, when someone actually works on the Sabbath, what are they saying? They're saying God doesn't rule. They're saying I do. And that's why there's so much significance in that. And this is why in Psalm 92, which is a song for the Sabbath, as Ingrid read for us, the psalmist focuses on rejoicing in God's works. Psalm 92 verse 4, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. And so on the seventh day we rest. We, we take our hands off the wheel and we look to God and we rejoice, not in what we've done, but in what he has done. Now here's the fourth thing I want to say about resting. Resting is ceasing. Resting is ceasing. On the seventh day, God ceased from his work. He stopped doing it. And again, he established this as a pattern for us. And so as we exercise dominion, in a sense, we're actually continuing God's work of creation. If you want to find meaning in your work, start to see your work in those terms. You're picking up where God left off on the first six days, and he's entrusted you with the task of carrying on his work, working and keeping the garden. That's significant, isn't it? So this is what Sabbath rest is all about. It's about God dwelling among us. It's about God reigning over us. And it's about God setting a pattern for us to follow. Now, we've covered a bit of ground this morning. 
And I'm going to try and tie it together in our third and final point. Our third point this morning, more of an application focused. I want to say, keep the Sabbath holy. Keep the Sabbath holy. We've got a big picture in our minds of what the Sabbath is. We understand what it means. It means that God has a plan for his creation, a plan to dwell with his creation, to rule over his creation, and to, and to live with us in his creation. And as we participate in God's rest, we, uh, we dwell with God and we rejoice in his reign. And this brings us to one final thing that we need to think about. Because as God set the Sabbath pattern aside for us in creation, he now calls us, Sabbath by Sabbath, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, to set this day aside in a special way to dwell in his presence, to recognize his rule, to rejoice in his works, to rest in Christ. And so we're called still today to set aside one day in seven as holy and dedicated to him. Now again, as, as Reformed believers, our confessions teach us this. You can read about it in the Heidelberg catechism that we still set aside the lord's day for worship but for many christians and and maybe you're one of them you either disagree with that or maybe you've never really even thought about that before and so in closing let me uh, just take a moment to say what it means to that god made the sabbath day holy and why he still calls us today to recognize uh, the the day as a holy day for worship so What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Well, let's just read uh, verse 3 in our text. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we see very plainly there, don't we? God made the day holy. The seventh day, he called it holy, he made it holy, it is holy. There's no question about that. That's an objective fact. Now, we need to ask ourselves, well, what does that actually mean? Well, that word holy literally means to separate or to set apart something. Now, in the supreme sense, God alone is holy. This is why the angels uh, say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's like this supreme declaration that God alone is supremely holy. And that's because he's set apart from his creation. He's in a whole other category of existence to uh, his creation. So he is separate. He's exalted above all things. But you see, sometimes in Scripture, God actually also makes something holy as well. And what that means, it doesn't mean that it becomes like him in the sense that he alone is God and holy. But what it means is that God sets something apart exclusively for himself. He makes it holy and he dedicates it to himself. That's what holy, uh, when something is made holy, that's what it's talking about. Now when there's sin, of course, it also has the connotation of cleansing as well. Cleansing from sin because God is uh, holy and no sin dwells in him. And so uh, we see in in 2 Corinthians 6 as an example of this. The Apostle Paul teaches us uh, that we as his people, we've actually been set apart as holy. God has taken us and he's set us apart for himself. He's cleansed us and purified us and he's dedicated us to himself. That's what we're here for. We belong to him. 
And this is why in the New Testament, again, there's such a logic here. When the day of worship in the New Testament is called the Lord's Day, they're actually just saying exactly the same thing. as If you say it's a holy day and it's the Lord's Day, it's two different ways of saying exactly the same thing. It's set apart for the Lord. It belongs to him. And so this day is to be and was to be uniquely dedicated to God. In Isaiah 58 and verse 13, Isaiah says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, so even up to Isaiah's time, the day is still holy, hasn't changed. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And so God, uh, for his people Israel, he wanted them to set this day apart. He had done so and he wanted them to do the same. Just put aside your own amusements for a day and delight in me. And so it's this day of resting from our own labors and, and delighting in God. Now the question again here, and maybe you've asked it yourself in your own mind, is, well, what does this all mean for us today? We've been pretty Old Testament heavy to this point. Really, in a sense, all I've done is explain how the, uh, the Old Covenant viewed the Sabbath and how it worked for Israel. Well, what about the New Covenant? What about uh, for us as Christians? Well, let me give you uh, three reasons why I believe that as Hebrews 4 tells us, there remains a Sabbath rest to the people of God. That's in the book of Hebrews, New Testament. And I think the Heidelberg Catechism uh, gets it right. Let me just read for you. I think that's uh, worth doing. In our Heidelberg uh, Catechism, question uh, 103, it says, What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And the answer comes, first, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offering for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. You can see how the confession just draws out and summarizes really neatly uh, a lot of the things we've been talking about this morning. So here are, here are three reasons why I think and believe that the confession is right, that this is what Scripture teaches. Here's the, the first reason. The first reason is because this is a creation ordinance. The Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It was not actually established as part of the, the Mosaic Covenant. It was established right there in creation. And so I think sometimes some Christians argue that the Sabbath has passed away because it was part of the uh, Mosaic Covenant. And I want to say, well, actually, that fails to realize that the Sabbath was actually woven into creation. Like marriage, we sometimes call marriage, it's a creation ordinance. It's part of the DNA of creation. Work and dominion, that's another creation ordinance. And the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. And so Jesus... When Jesus said the Sabbath was made, what did he say? He didn't, that's right, for man. The Sabbath was not made for the Jews, was it? The Sabbath was made for man, mankind as a whole, all of us. So the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. Here's the second reason why I believe uh, that the day of worship remains for us today. Second reason, because it is a moral necessity. 
because it's a moral necessity. The moral significance of the the Sabbath can be seen in the fact that it was included in the Ten Commandments. In Hebrews 10 and verse 16, we learn that in the New Covenant, God will actually write His law on the hearts of His people. This is a uh, prophecy, I think, from Ezekiel and, and quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. Looking forward to the New Covenant, God says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And so according to the the logic of Hebrews 10 and verse 16, God would write the moral law of the Sabbath onto the hearts of his people. He would cause us to delight in it, even as Israel neglected it, because it wasn't in their heart. It 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 was just written on paper for the nation as a whole. Unless you think that the moral principle of the fourth commandment has passed away, consider what Jesus said in Matthew 15, uh, 5 and verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so there certainly were ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law that passed away. For example, we don't, we don't sacrifice animals in church on a Sunday anymore, do we? And we don't do that because we know that, uh, that the shadows of those sacrifices all anticipated Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And, and again, the book of Hebrews actually teaches us this, this, uh, this truth. But the moral imperatives of the law still remain. There still needs to actually be a sacrifice. It's just Christ is the sacrifice. And you look at the Ten Commandments as well. God still doesn't want us to kill people. He still doesn't like murder. It's not okay to murder now. He doesn't want us to commit adultery, to steal, to covet, to dishonor our parents, to take his name in vain, to make idols. He doesn't want us to do those things. It's still part of his will for our lives. He wants to write into our hearts, in fact, uh, the opposite of those things. So rather than uh, killing people, we we would uh, increasingly come to learn and love uh, other people. And I want to say, he doesn't want us to profane the Sabbath either. The moral imperative still remains. Now, the third reason why I say that the day of worship remains is because God never repealed it. God never repealed it. As you read the Old Testament, there's just no doubt about it. God wants his people to keep the Sabbath day holy as a day of worship. And, and I think for us to actually take a step back and, and say, well, we, don't, we shouldn't be doing this anymore. We actually need to be able to say, well, where does God tell us that we shouldn't do it anymore? That's really uh, an important thing that we would need to be able to see in the Scripture. But we simply don't find that in the Scripture. We do find that the day has changed. The apostolic example shows us that the day of worship changed from the seventh day to the first day. And that's really fitting when you think about it, not only because it marks the, the resurrection of our Lord, but also because on the seventh day, it was looking forward, wasn't it? It was anticipating something. As we celebrate on the first day, we're actually looking back. And, and what, what do you see there at the center? It's Christ. It's his life, death, and resurrection. 
So we worship on the first day. We look back and we remember his resurrection. As we celebrate the sacraments again, we remember those events. The Old Testament, they look forward to the first day. So again, there's a wonderful logic going on in the scriptures there. And we know this uh, because we see in the apostolic example, Acts 20 and verse 7, for example, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, they show that the apostles changed the practice from worshipping on the seventh day to worshipping on the first day. And again, in the book of Revelation, full of its seventh day symbolism, the apostle John is called up into heavenly worship on the Lord's day. That's where we get the title of the Lord's day, Revelation 1 verse 10. And so this is why we worship the Lord of the, of the Sabbath, uh, Sunday by Sunday, because that's what he wants us to do. We don't gather on a Monday or a Tuesday. We follow the apostolic example and worship on a Sunday. Now, in closing, again, here is an application for us to take away this week. I want to encourage you to keep the Sabbath holy. To set aside Sunday for the purpose that he made it, which is to delight in him. Now, I think one of the tragedies of, of the Reformed tradition is that we have this doctrine but we've turned our Sabbaths into a day of doing do's and don'ts. What can't I do? What can I do? How far can I get to the line of what I could and shouldn't? And I think that whole thing just completely misses the point about what this day is. This day isn't about what we can't do. It's about a complete release into delighting in God. That's God's vision for the Sabbath, a day of delight. And I don't, maybe it'll be helpful. I, don't, I, don't, I try not to be too prescriptive about telling people what they can and can't do on the Lord's Day. I think working is, is one. There are works of necessity, but certainly the scriptures make it clear this is a day to cease from our dominion. But apart from that, I think a helpful guideline I find is uh, to reflect and ask, is what I'm doing helping me to delight in God? Rather than, is this something that God says I can't do or is that something I shouldn't be doing? It's good to, I, I find helpful uh, to reflect and ask, is this helping me to delight in God? Uh, and if it is, uh, go for it and do it. So don't look at the Lord's Day in terms of what you can't do. Look at it positively in terms of what it was made for. Delighting in God. And when you think about it that way, uh, as a Christian, what, what could be better than just having a whole day to, to delight in God, to remember what Christ has done for us, to consider the excellencies of who God is, His perfections, to rejoice in his mercy as he pours it out upon us again. To, to talk over a cup of coffee about what God has done for you in your life. I know our sinful desires get in the way sometimes. But I think as Christians, something inside of us can say, you know what, that is actually the best thing. Just loving God, delighting in God. And that's, that's the vision we should have for the day of worship. Rejoicing in God's goodness. The Sabbath was made for our good. It wasn't made to bind us down. It was made to release us into uh, the glorious, wonderful God and who he, who he is and what he's done for us. So I want to encourage you uh, to remember that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I want to encourage you to remember that it's designed to be a blessing for us as we rejoice in who God is and what he's done. And I want to invite you to resolve in your heart and life to keep the Sabbath holy, even as God created it to be holy. It's a means of grace, a means by which we will know him more, a means by which we can uh, grow in Christ.
And maybe you've never heard the things that I'm talking about this morning. Maybe this is all pretty new. And I want to encourage you. You know, there are other views in the church on this issue. I want to encourage you uh, to be a good Berean. Search the scriptures and see if these things are so. I've got a couple of resources here. There's a book here called The Lord's Day by uh, Joseph Piper. That's a, a really good book that opens up these things. And um, from a more practical perspective, The Day of Worship uh, by Ryan McGraw. It's a wonderful book uh, reflecting uh, on that as well. So brothers and sisters, uh, keep the Sabbath holy and rejoice in your God Sunday by Sunday. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, as you've given us this day of uh, worship, Lord, as we've come together uh, this day in your presence, we, uh, we do rejoice in your works for us. We thank you so much for your mercies uh, toward us, your compassion, your grace. And we pray, Lord God, that you would please indeed help us to worship you Lord's day by Lord's day to rejoice in you, and even, Lord, uh, to take this day as a, as a foretaste of that great and coming day uh, when we shall be forever in your presence. Lord, we pray that you would please uh, help us in this by your Spirit. May it not be a day of bondage. May it rather be a day uh, of joy in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.